Well, that was weird. <laughs> Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, good morning. My name is Tim. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, um, we are so glad that you are here. This is an awesome Sunday. As many people have already told you, this is open house. Afterwards, we have chicken and hot dogs and a bounce house and a dunk tank in which Mason will go swimming in. And there's also laser tag. I don't know if you saw the laser tag as you drove in, but it's out in the parking lot. There's a big patch of grassy field. If you're facing the road, it is off to your right. But through this sea of cars, it will be hard to see, but it is out there, I promise you. So um, a year ago, before we moved out here from Michigan, my family one weekend went to the beach. And as we were hanging out at the beach, playing in the sand, kids were jumping in the water, all that stuff, we decided, hey, we've, we've had enough fun. Let's go for a walk. We walked down the pier, saw the lighthouse, and it was getting close to people being hungry. And so we packed up everything, loaded everybody up into our van, and we drove to a little restaurant. It's, it's a fast food joint called Culver's, and it's like a McDonald's with really, really good ice cream. And so we went there, ate, got the kids ice cream, and as we are driving away, we're about two minutes down the road, and Edmund begins yelling out, Jeep, Jeep. At this point, he's three years old. He has this little green Jeep. Let me show you the, the green Jeep. It's a little matchbox Jeep, and uh, he literally brings it everywhere with him. He, he, he doesn't anymore, but at that point, like, he brought it everywhere to church, to bed, anytime we would go somewhere, and to the beach. And so he's asking for his Jeep. And so I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm pulling this van over to look for the Jeep. I don't know where it is. I don't remember seeing it getting packed up, but I assure him it is somewhere in the van, and we will look for it when we get home. So as soon as we pull into the driveway, he remembers me telling him this, and he begins to cry out, Jeep, Jeep. And so I'm like, dude, just let me park the Jeep or park the, park the van. And we, we park it. I get uh, the one bag out. It's full of towels and blankets. And I start pulling out towels and I'm shaking them out. I dump out the bag, dump out lots and lots of sand. No Jeep. I grab the other beach bag. It's filled with toys and buckets and shovels and thingamajigs and dumping it all out and no Jeep. And I felt terrible. And I'm looking through the van, high and low, everywhere, asking, have you seen the Jeep? Have you seen the Jeep? And he is really, really broken over this. And so I'm like, okay, okay, we'll find it. So I go to the dollar store, and I see eight racks of Hot Wheels cars. And I begin pulling all of them off, looking for anything that slightly resembles a Jeep. I find a blue Bronco. I got to put that off to the side. I find another vehicle. It's a Jeep brand, but has a bed of a pickup truck attached to it. I'm like, well, that counts. Like, put that off to the side. I'm looking, and I can't find anything else, so I buy them both, and he loves them both. The blue one kind of looks like a Jeep, but it's blue. The white one has a brand name Jeep, which I thought that, that obviously counts, but it's white and doesn't look like his green Jeep. And so he's still asking for it, asking for it. And so have you ever lost anything like that? And the question is, when do you continue looking for something that you've lost and 
When do you decide, I'm just going to give up? And let me ask you that question a, a different way. If you were that lost item or you were that lost person, does God ever give up looking? Is there ever a point where you could go so far or mess things up so badly where God just says, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of just giving up? Is that even a thing? Does God give up on us? And so that's the question we're going to answer today. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 15. While you're turning there or finding it in your phone, let me give you a little bit of background. You see, Jesus has been doing ministry for the last three years. He's been preaching to large crowds. He's been healing people. He's been feeding thousands of people, and people are starting to follow him. They're starting to gather around, and there's a group of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and they're kind of getting sick and tired of Jesus, and they're frustrated with him because he continues to help people but he also continues to spend time with these people called tax collectors. You know, the people that show up once a year, April 15th, and they take way more than they should. Those people. And he also spends time with sinners, really, really bad people and the outcasts of society. And they start to grumble and complain. And they go, I can't believe Jesus, who's a rabbi, is spending time with all of those people. So that's where we are. Luke chapter 15. Let me read verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They kind of went like, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus, hearing that, knowing their thoughts, knowing what's going on inside of them, he tells three parables. A parable is a made-up story where each character represents different people, and there's one big idea. So he, so he tells a story about a guy who has a hundred sheep, and one sheep goes off running who knows where. And that man leaves the 99, and he goes and he finds the one, brings it back, and there is great joy, and there's a huge celebration. Then he tells another parable about a lady who lost a coin. And it's, imagine you lost $50 and you, you begin searching and she's searching and she's looking, she's looking. And finally, she finds this one coin. I mean, it's kind of like you woke up this morning and you put your hands in your pocket and you're like, $50, right? A lot of joy, a lot of celebration. And that's what's going on. And then he rolls into this third parable, Luke chapter 13. 15, we'll start reading in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there was, a severe famine in that whole country, and he had begun to see that he was in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything." 
So here is this young man. He's probably a teenager or a young adult. And he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now let me ask you this. When do people typically get an inheritance? When someone dies, right? So he's basically going to his dad, who is a very wealthy man, and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Whatever it is that I would get when you die, I want it now. Give it to me. At that point, you would kind of think, man, I bet the dad probably just took his hand or took his foot and just gave it to him. But at that point, his dad doesn't do that at all. And so the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of that inheritance, and the younger brother would have only gotten one-third. So the dad says, okay, fine. You want your stuff? I'm going to divide it up. Here's some of the land that would be yours. Here's some of the animals that would be yours. Here's some of the possessions that would be yours. And here's some change that would have been yours. And he divides it up and he gives it to him. And so essentially this young man is saying, Dad, I want nothing to do with you or your family, and I'm leaving goodbye. Everybody listening to that story would have been shocked. They would have <sighs> gasped. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. And so he sends them with this, and he begins to squander it. That word squander is literally the idea of throwing money away. He's just buying whatever he wants. I want new jeans. I want new shoes. I want to take my friends out for lunch. We're going to have a party. We're going to drinks on me. Everybody is going to be my friend. I'm just buying whatever I want. And eventually, that money runs out. <laughs> and he realizes there's no more money. I'm broke. And just as that is happening, there's a severe famine. No more food. People are, are hurting to find crops. They're hurting to feed their own family. And so now this young man does something that he's probably never had to do in his life. He had to get a job. This young Jewish boy coming from a rich family goes and works, and the job he gets is feeding pigs. And if you know anything about Jewish people, they don't really eat pig. They're not supposed to eat pork. They're certainly not supposed to be around them because those animals are considered to be unclean. So it's kind of ironic that he finds himself feeding pigs. Not only is he feeding the pigs, but he's crawling around with the pigs, kind of pushing them out of the way so that he can eat their food because he's so hungry. He thinks he is starving. And finally, life has caught up to this kid. Have you ever been there? Have you ever made decisions, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and you're just like, man, I can't believe I'm messing my life up like this. Every character represents somebody, and the younger brother, they represent the sinners, the tax collectors, and the outcasts. And so maybe you've been there. You've made those decisions. You wish you could take them back. You wish you could get a redo. And, and you just feel like you're blowing up your life. It's unraveling as we speak. And you have no idea if anybody would ever want you around them, let alone God. And this young man finds himself 
in a really interesting position. So he gets this job and he begins messing around with the pigs. But look at what happens next. Verse 17, he came to his senses. Boom, the light bulb comes on. And he said, uh-huh, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's incredible. Look at, look at verse 20 again. He, he gets up, he's on his way, he's probably rehearsing over and over and over again, what am I going to say to my dad? What am I going to say? Okay, I'm going to say this, I'm going to ask for this, I'm going to make sure that I, I own everything. And he recognizes, dad, I, I've sinned, I, I've blown it. I have not only sinned against you, but I have sinned against our God in heaven. My life is an absolute mess. He's still a long way off. And the father sees him. I just imagine the dad on his front porch or on his front yard, just kind of every day walking and, and looking off into the distance, hoping, looking for this young boy to come back. And he sees him from a far distance off. And as he sees him, he has compassion. He has compassion and he ran to his son. That's incredible. Because first of all, wealthy men in the first century didn't run anywhere. I mean, they're wealthy and they have people working for them. So if they need something, they're just like, bring me that cup of tea. Bring me that food. Bring me my robe. And then people bring them that stuff. And this man runs he doesn't trot or shuffle or jog. I mean, he sprints like Usain Bolt running the 100-meter dash, like all out, lungs burning, sprinting to his son. And so the younger brother is, is representing the sinners, the tax collectors, and the outcasts. And the father represents our heavenly father. And he is running, pursuing, chasing after these people who are far from him. And he threw his arms around him. Compassion, love, goodness, generosity, mercy. He loves this boy. And in the first century, 
these, these men would have worn long robes that went all the way down to their ankles. And so if you're a lady you've, and you've worn a dress that's gone down to your feet, you probably know it's not really easy to run. I've never worn a dress, but I have had towels around my waist that go down to my ankles, and it's kind of hard to, to get there. And so this, this man would have had to pull up his robe. And we know anytime a guy shows too much leg, that is a bad thing. And so even in the first century, it was humiliating and shameful for, for a, a guy, an older man, to pull up his robe. And that's what he does. He pulls up his robe. He's not supposed to run. He does it anyways. He throws all of that to the wind because he loves this young boy running after him, knowing he's taken his inheritance and blown it, knowing he said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I want nothing to do with you. Dad, I'm done with you. I'm done with this family. But this dad has compassion, and he runs towards him, chases him. So here's the question. Will you run? Will you return to the Father? No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, will you run to the Father? No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, will you return to the Father? Look at verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I have totally blown it. I've messed up my life. He owns everything he does. He acknowledges that. But look at verse 22. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring me the best robe, put a ring on his finger, and grab some sandals. Now, who do you think in that house had the best robe? Probably the father. So he doesn't say, get the old dusty robe, get the one that's been eaten up by moths, get that one that we were using to wipe down tables, get the best robe, bring my robe and put it around my son. He was dead and now he's alive. And put a ring on his finger, meaning put some authority in him. He is my son. And he's not a servant, he's not a slave, they typically wouldn't have worn shoes or sandals. He's my son. So get some sandals and put them on his feet. This is a picture of what happens to you and I. When we decide we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and be our savior and be the leader of our life. When we put our faith in Christ alone he welcomes you. He runs toward you. And he says, you are my son. You're my daughter. You're part of my family. And that's how he sees you. No matter how far you've run, no matter how messed up you've made your life, he runs to you with compassion, love, grace, and mercy. And he says, you're my daughter. You're the daughter of the king. You're my son. You're in my family. This is incredible. Verse 24, he says, for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a raucous party. This is a picture of what happens to us. Romans 3 talks about how when all of us have sinned, we fall short of God's glory. We sh fall short of God's standard. 
Romans 6 talks about how we are separated because of our sin from God, and spiritually, we are dead. Spiritually, that's how you started. You started spiritually dead. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, you're alive, you're brand new. And so every single week when someone gives their life to Jesus and they ask him to forgive him of their sins and they ask Jesus to be their savior, we celebrate it with a carnation. I wish it was with steak and chicken and it would be amazing like we're doing today. We just can't afford that. So we do the next best thing and we celebrate with a carnation and with a light bright because we believe that God celebrates it. That when someone gives their life to Jesus, there's a party in heaven and the angels are celebrating because those who are lost matter to God. Those who are far from God matter. Lost things, lost people matter to God. Look at what happens next. What happened to the older brother? Verse 25. Meanwhile, as all of this is happening, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. This was not a Baptist house. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the younger brother represents the sinners, the tax collectors, and the outcasts. The father represents our heavenly father, and the older brother represents the Pharisees, the scribes, and the religious teachers who are coming to Jesus and going, I can't believe you spend time with those people. I can't believe you eat with them and you go to their homes. And when one of those people who was dead is now alive comes to the Father, there is an incredible celebration. There's loud music, dancing. This is the biggest party the village has ever seen. And this brother has no idea what's going on. And he knows that dad has been looking for him on the porch, waiting for him on the front yard, waiting for him, hoping this was going to be the day. And now he comes back. He knows his dad's excited. And the older brother can't stand it. He is angry. He is frustrated. He is bitter. And he resents his brother. Look at what he did. He took all your money, dad. And he just threw it away. He wasted it. Look, he messed up his life. He had this coming to him. 
kick him out. But dad, I've done everything. I've checked all the boxes. I mean, if, if he was here, he would say, but I read my Bible, and, and I come to church, and I give money, and I give blood, and I help little old ladies across the street, and I show up to small group, and, and I've done all the right things. But he sees somebody who has messed up their life, and God begins to transform, and they go, I can't believe you're actually celebrating them? He's angry. He's frustrated. He's bitter. He's the religious leaders of the day. And he says, Dad, you owe me. Why are you celebrating this kid? He's just a punk. And so here's the question. Will you return to the Father? No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, maybe you were the younger brother and you have come to Christ. Who else are you helping return to the Father? Maybe you are the younger brother and, and you've made a huge mess of your life and, and you just feel like there is no way that God would ever, ever, ever want anything to do with me. And I would say, you're so wrong. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He's running towards you and you don't have to fix anything to come to him. You can come to Jesus, just as you are. Or maybe you're here and you're the older brother and you've been coming for a long time. Maybe you've been coming to Bridgewater since we, we launched this campus. And you're saying, but I check all the boxes, Tim. But you've never really placed your faith in Jesus. I don't know where you are. But I know that lost things and lost people are really, really important to God. Maybe you're wondering, Tim, I've just been wondering what happened to that green Jeep. So, yes, tell me that. So, obviously, the blue Bronco didn't fix it. The white Jeep with the pickup bed didn't fix it. And so I began my own search and rescue mission on Amazon. And I bought um, uh, a new green Jeep and thought, man, this, this is what he's going to want. And that was what he wanted because lost things matter to little boys and little girls, and lost things matter to you, and lost things and lost people matter to our Heavenly Father. And so when you lose something valuable, you want to go and find it. God feels the same way about people. That's exactly how he sees people. He continues on this search and rescue mission. And so maybe you're on this spiritual journey and you are the younger brother. I would say, will you return to the Father? Maybe you're here and you're more like the older brother. Will you return to the Father? In a moment, we're gonna share a testimony of a lady named Sarah. and She was kind of more like the older brother. She checked all the boxes, did all the right things, crossed all of her T's, dotted all of her I's, but she realized she still was far from God and she needed to return to the Father. Let's show the video. My home life was amazing. We grew up in a Catholic family, and so I can't remember not knowing Jesus' name, not having him as a friend to pray to and talk to. 
In college, I started to have experiences and classes where I was having a lot more questions than answers and went and did whatever I wanted to do. I was in sports, I got the best classes, had the great grades, was studying, had good social groups, um, great friends, and I was replacing one thing for another. If I went to the cancer club and got that fundraiser done and I did so good in it, well, it didn't matter that I partied. And if I, um, you know, was attending church on Sunday, well, that would just replace my sins. That's, that's good enough, because look how good I am over here. That covers this. And I think at the time I didn't intentionally make it that way, or I at least definitely wasn't spending the time thinking through it. Um, and when I reflect back, that's exactly what I was doing, not even knowing or not, you know, in the forefront of my decision making, deciding, oh, this is good enough, so that's fine. You know, I, I didn't walk through it like that, but when I reflect on it, that's all that it was. You know, this is, I'm doing this so good, we don't have to talk about that. After college, um, I moved up in this area to become close with my um, now husband. And when we got engaged, I, I was like, we need to, <laughs> we need to get some marriage counseling. We need to be connected to a church. Um, and I'm telling you, the loving people of Bridgewater really were the ones who poured into us and encouraged us. Just in the most recent season, um, I have to give some credit to the pandemic. I was put on an improvement plan at school. I'm a teacher and I pour my heart into it and I care about it a lot. And through the pandemic, I didn't realize that I was on survivalism mode. And um, so the district called me out on some things that I needed to improve on and that shattered my reality because just growing up and always getting straight A's and always doing the right thing, always checking the boxes. You're supposed to do this, done. You're supposed to do this, done. And I, I get a lot of pride from that. I enjoy checking boxes, being in my job, having a passion for it, it's going great. And then the pandemic saying, you could be doing better was like, what? I wouldn't hear it in the beginning. Um, and thankfully was in small group brought this to people who love me, people who, you know, were able to speak truth in this situation. Um, and just, they just encouraged me to just keep bringing it to God, keep praying, keep talking to him about it. And I feel like every time I did, he was uprooting something in my heart that was in the way of me seeing his truth and experiencing his truth. It was in the way of me accepting the grace, which is I've made mistake or I did not live up to the excellence that we're called to. And so it was this year, April 22nd, and Matt had led anyone who was needing to say, I need to be forgiven of my sins and that I wanna give my whole life to you, Jesus. Um, and I just remember sitting there like, how do I, how do, why do I feel this pull? Like I've never said this prayer like I have just now. Um, it wasn't about what I, what I learned and the knowledge and the logic. It was me finally giving my heart to God. It was me changing. Well, I love Jesus because he's so good and he's, no. I love Jesus. He has been there for me. He's been faithful for me all through. If you would come to the Father with that leap of faith, He will meet you there and He will surprise you with just abundant grace and abundant forgiveness and ab abundant joy and life and freedom. And I'm just so thankful that I get to walk in that. My name is Sarah Empit and I am here to make more and better disciples of Jesus.
sin, reflect on the words, uh, and ask the question, will you run to the Father? side. 
So what's next? Whether you're the younger brother or the older brother, will you return to the Father? Will you run to him? Here's what Romans 3.23 says. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Verse 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. And so if you're here today and you are feeling God tugging at your heart, don't ignore that. Have you ever asked Jesus to be your savior? Have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Don't leave today without having that conversation. Talk to me, talk to somebody here that, that you know, talk to the person that brought you, or if you're here and you're like, I am way too scared to talk to anybody right now, here's what I would say. Grab the communication card in the seat in front of you. And on the back, there's a, a little part that you can tear off and you can mark accept Jesus as my Savior. Even if you haven't done that, give us as much information as you feel comfortable. And if you just want to have a conversation about what does it mean to run to the Father or what does it mean to actually ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, you mark that box, bring that back to the Welcome Center back there underneath that TV, and somebody will contact you this week. But if you feel God tugging at your heart today, don't leave without having that conversation. Let me pray with you. Father, we are amazed that you run towards us with love and compassion. And even though many of us have made mistakes, many of us have sinned and we have totally blown our lives up, you continue to search out and find people who are lost. You love to help find lost people. You love when lost people come and run to you and ask that you would do that today, you would help us to put our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing one more song together and praise Jesus.